Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Uh, Today we're going to be talking, though, about one of the the biggest figures in the book of Genesis, and I think one of the biggest figures in the Bible. Um, In fact, if you uh, were like me and growing up in, I mean, you may not have been, but I grew up in in deep south Mississippi, most of the songs we sang in Sunday school were about this person, and his name is Abraham. So we're going to be talking about him. And if you remember the Father Abraham, and then you have the motions, and you had to do all the things, so I see some people out there know, and you know what I'm talking about, um, because we sang in and around, and they turn around, sit down, and then we could start. So I'm not going to make you do that today. So just, just know. We could. We could all stand up and do it, but I know Wendy would get on to me, so we're not going to do that. Um, we're not going to talk about every aspect of his story either. Abraham has a huge story. It takes a huge swath of the book of Genesis um, because it, and it's too much. And I, you know, I know that some of you get hungry and want to have lunch and we got things to do. Um, but I want to show you three different things about the story of Abraham that I think are universal and also speak to us as well. Um, it shows really God's pattern in the, uh, the way that he interacts with his people on a personal level. So I'm going to give them to you all at once so you can write them down. For our note takers, you can write them down and then flesh it out a little bit as we go. But it's really easy, um, and they don't alliterate, so I apologize in advance. But the first one is that God calls. So God calls is number one. Number two is God covenants. Covenants. And number three is we believe. We believe. And if you didn't get that written down, that's fine. We're, you're you're going to hear that. 30 more times as we go, so it's okay. You'll get it then. But uh, God calls, God covenants, and we believe. That's the, where we're going today. So if you will, grab your Bibles, and we're going to open to the book of Genesis, um, and we're going to go to chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible today, that's okay. Uh, there is an app for that, and we recommend um, Version is a really good app. It gives you lots of different translations, lots of different things. And so this is your first time today, and you don't have a Bible, that is okay. Um, we just encourage you to go download the version app on your iPhone or tablet. Go to Genesis. It's the very Abraham Bible, and we're going to be in chapter 12. Because this is where the story of Abraham starts. Now, we could read back this 1 through 11, those chapters. And we've kind of talked a little bit about that. Yes, sir. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, and what we see is that brings us from creation to the Tower of Babel. Um, those are kind of the stories that happen there. And it is this, uh, this continued pattern of God kind of working on a, on a worldwide scale, on a global scale with people. We create people, we create the world, sin happens, and so the relationship is broken. Then there's Noah, and that's a whole world thing. Then there's the Tower of Babel, that's a whole world thing. But in Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 11, we zoom in on this one family, and we get to this one guy, and his name at the time is Abram. But I'm going to say Abraham a lot during our sermon today, so don't email me later and say his name was actually Abram during that time. I know, okay, but we're going to say Abraham. But in Genesis chapter 12 is where we really start to see this happen, and we see what's called the call. God calls Abram. So if you're there, Genesis chapter 12, say I'm there. All right, so let's read these verses together. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're going to stop there. We see here, Abram is chilling. He's living his life, doing his own thing. Okay? If we read a little bit earlier in chapter 11, he's traveled a little bit with his father. Like he's on, They're kind of hanging out. They're nomads. They're just doing their thing, living their life. And then God shows up and says, go. <laughs> go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Leave everything behind and go to a land that I will show you. I want to show you a couple of things about this call because it's really important for us to understand that this is sometimes how God calls us too. Um, the first thing is, is that this was a call to obey. It was a call to obedience first. Um, Abraham did not get details. He did not get logistics. He did not get an itinerary. There wasn't a map. There wasn't a GPS coordinate. It was just a call to obey. That's it. Go. And go, not just to go, but go to where I will show you. You're going to go and you're going to leave everything behind that's comfortable and that's familiar, and you're going to go to a place that I will show you. So first it was a call to obedience, but secondly, it was a call to faith. He says, I'm going to show you where to go. And this is a whole question of trust, and we're going to be dealing a lot with the idea of trust and faith today. But this is the idea that we see God is calling him to obey, and he's calling him to trust him in the obedience. Um, notice what God promises him, though, in that obedience. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and you who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this calling and this faith was accompanied by a promise, by a covenant. And we're going to talk about that some more in a minute. But the idea is that the promise here is that God is going to do this great thing through Abraham. I promise you this great thing, but I'm not going to tell you how to get there yet. I'm not going to give you all the details. That's what the end picture looks like, and now I just need you to go. See, this call on Abraham's life was before any other covenants were in place. There were no legal documents. There was no sacrificial system. There was no meeting at the table to negotiate. It was just a go and do. And it was a simple question of would Abraham trust God as the author of his story? And really, that's kind of our question, too, that we're going to be dealing with today. But God offers him a promise that his obedience would lead to something great. Now, we read this promise. You know, it says, I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great. And if people dishonor you, they're going to be cursed. And if people bless you, they're going to be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What's interesting is not a lot of specifics are given in that. There's not a how. Again, we, we don't get any of those details. But we recognize that this is what God is promising him. And then we see in, chapter, or in verse 4, so Abram went. So God says go, and Abram went. Same verb, different tenses. Lots of fun for the English people in the room. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. We're just going to stop there. He obeyed. He did what was said. And then if you skip down to verse 7, you recognize that Abram is continuing to do this. So he, he travels with Lot. They go to all these different places, and God appears to him again. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, and this is verse 7, to your offspring... 
I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what happens is that Abram obeys, he starts trusting God, he goes, and God gives him a little bit more. Did you see? Because the original one was, just go to the land, I'll show you. And then in verse 7, he says, no, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this one. So here you are. Congratulations, you have made it. And so what does Abram do? He worships. In that place where he recognizes that he is doing what God has called him to do, and God is continuing to reinforce and to build him up and to, to lead him to where he get, was going, then he worships. So God calls us to trust him, to obey him, in the same way that God called Abraham. He calls us to trust him and obey him because he is the author of our story. It's not about us. It's not about our desires and our wishes and our wants. And what's interesting is that this is the same conversation happening back in Genesis 3. When, when the serpent talks to Eve and he, she, he says, do you know, do you want this fruit? And Eve says, no, I don't want it because God said, if I touch it, I'll die. And this, this, uh, the serpent says, um, you're not really going to die, but you're going to be like God. That question, you're going to be like God, means you're going to take God's place. You get to make decisions instead of having to do what he says. That is the central conflict through the rest of our story and the rest of the Bible. Are we going to trust God to be the author of the story? Because the story is about him and whether we're going to let him be the one to determine our steps. So God makes this call on Abram's life and he obeys. He obeys in faith. And that's a big part that we're going to get to in a minute. But we also recognize that not, God doesn't only just call, he covenants. Covenants is a big word, um, but what it really means is just promise. It's an agreement. God makes a promise or an agreement with his people. Um, and we saw this in Genesis 1, right? So, or in Genesis 2. He tells Adam and Eve to go forth, to fill the earth, to multiply, to subdue it, to have dominion over it, basically become caretakers of all that I've given you. That was the, kind of the first one that we see. God makes a promise to them. And, you know, I'll bless you and I'll multiply you. He does the same thing to Noah. You know, you come be on the ark. Once we get off the ark, he does the same thing. I'm going to put my bow in the clouds. I'm not going to have wrath on the earth and destroy the earth by water. And that's a covenant that I will make between me and all creation, God says. So there's a promise here. And we're going to see that in, in this story of Abraham, God makes a series of covenants with him that become a more and more personal so this is the first one, right? Go to this land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make your name great. Flip with me over to Genesis 13. So just one chapter over. Um, basically what happens is Abraham settles in, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, and his nephew is with him, his nephew Lot. And they're having a great time doing their whole thing, growing, prom, honoring his promise. He's, they're being fruitful and multiplying, and their possessions are growing and growing and growing. And by possessions, I'm not talking about stuff and closets and houses, because I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. Things multiply in my home. I come home, and there's just more boxes of things, and I don't know where this is coming from, <laughs> and why are there more Amazon packages in my front door? Anybody else? Okay, so that's not what we're talking about. In this day and age, um, when we talk about multiplication, they're talking about real things, goats, sheep, animals that are now multiplying and producing bigger and bigger herds. And the bigger your herd is, the more land you need. And all of a sudden, there's not enough land for Abram and Lot to share. So they have to separate. So Abram, being the gracious uncle he is, he looks at Lot and says, you know what, let's not argue, let's not fight. You pick where you want to go first, and then I'll, take the, I'll go the other direction. We will separate amicably so that our our people and our herds can live on the land and we won't get into a fight. And so Lot says, you know what, I'm going to go down to the valley and I'm going to hang out with Sodom and Gomorrah. 
and Abram says, have a great time. And he goes the other way. He goes up into the mountains. And we pick up in verse 14 here. So Genesis 13, 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also will be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So God is promising Abraham lots of things. And he's continuing to build on the promise that started with the first call. Go to the land I will show you, and I will make your name great. I will make of you a great nation. I will do all of this. And then he goes, and God says, this is the land that I have for you. So fill it. This is where you're going to be. I will give this your land to you. And then we have this conversation again. But this time, God's even more specific. He's standing on a mountain, and he says, look, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. All that you see, I'm going to give to you and to your offspring. And not only will I give you this to your offspring, your offspring are going to be so great, it's going to be like sand on a seashore. So if somebody could count the sand, then they can count your offspring. This is really important because in this day and age, the only way that you continued was through your kids. If you did not have children, your family, your legacy, your life did not continue. Um, And so we see this because at this point in time, Abram has no children. That's important. He doesn't have any kids. He has no way. This promise is unfulfilled. I have no way for my, this blessing to come. So how is this supposed to continue? This is going to be a question in the back of Abram's mind. Flip with me over to Genesis 15. There's another covenant. So uh, basically what happens is Lot goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and fun fact, he um, gets captured because you know he's around the cities and other people. He's not living... Um, with the people of God. He's separated. And so he gets captured and taken. And Abram uh, gets called. And he says, hey, your lot, basically your, your, your nephew's in jail. So Abram says, okay. He rallies 300 men of his troops, his people, uh, the people that are with him. And they go and they defeat basically five other kingdoms. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. He goes and, and filtrates. He takes it and he partners with another a king, and they go in, and they rescue Lot and bring him back. And this king looks at him and says, you know what, man? Hey, why don't we enter a treaty? You do what I say. I protect you. You protect me. And we won't have any strife between us, and I'll give you half the spoils. Basically, this king was offering him an alternative covenant. He's offering him an alternative way of accomplishing this goal. But Abram says, no thanks. I just want what was Lot's return to Lot, and I'm going to go back my way. And we get in chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, Ward shall. and he said, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. See, God was paying attention. He saw what Abram did. He saw that Abram rejected a false temporary covenant for the covenant that God had made with him. And he says, I will be your reward. But Abram says, so here we start asking some questions, because Abram's heard this a couple of times from God. We've heard this. We know this. So Abram has questions. He says, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram has some questions. God, you keep telling me you're going to bless me. You keep telling me you're going to multiply me. You're going to make my name great. My offspring is going to be like sand on a seashore. Quick question, who's going to be the kid? Because I don't have him yet. 
I'm waiting for you to fulfill some promises here. So God answers him. <laughs> and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number him. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's really important because God doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say you're going to have a kid on this day. But he does say you will have a son and your offspring will be like the stars in the sky. It's a continued question of trust. Each of these covenants is a continued question of trust. What's interesting, though, is that Abraham is a lot like me and you, and he doubts. And so he made some poor choices. That's what chapter 16 is about. He made a poor choice. Um, he decided that he wasn't going to wait on God to give him a kid. He and Sarah uh, said, we're going to have a kid a different way. And so he, um, Sarah gives him her handmaiden, Hagar, and Hagar and Abraham have a kid. Um, and this was not the kid that was promised. It was him going his own way. So then we get to chapter 17. And this, I think, is one of the, the bigger kind of covenants that we see. This is the big one that Abraham kind of deals with and talks through. Um, because he, he's done this, um, this idea of trying to go his own way, recognizing that it was not right. Um, and so the Lord has to deal with him in some other ways. But in 17 chapter 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. How old was Abraham? 99 years old and still not had the child of the promise, the one that God told him he would have. Went his own way, but did not do this. So 99 years old, and God says, I'm going to continue my covenant with you and will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you, into your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, your waitings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. So God zooms in on Abraham. Notice that this is how these covenants have worked, how the calling has worked. We started with a very general, go to this land, I'm going to bless you. Then, hey, Abram, this is the land. And, hey, Abram, to really make it clear for you, look, north, south, east, west, you will have a son, and this will be their land. And then God zooms in right here and really lands it home. My covenant is with bless you. It's with you. It's you and your family and I'm going to bless you, and I will be uh, God to you and to your, kingdom, your children and your offspring throughout all generations. This is an everlasting covenant between me and you. See, each of these covenants that we just read reveal a little more of the story. They reveal a little more of the plan, and really what they reveal is God's purpose, what he's trying to do, because what it shows us is that God has chosen Abraham, and he's entering into relationship with him. And each time, each and every time, <laughs> it was God asking Abraham to obey, to believe, to have faith. 
Notice that each one of these times, God is not telling Abraham, hey, I need you to go do these five different things. Here's your five steps to make this happen. There was no, if you just go listen to this podcast, then everything will be fine. You're going to work everything out. If you go read this book or you go do this or go do that, God was simply asking him to obey. What's interesting, though, is that just like Adam and Eve, just like Noah, Abraham doesn't measure up. He messes up a couple of times. And really, when he messes up, it's always because of doubt. There's always this nagging doubt. And throughout the story, the pieces that I didn't read, we see a couple of those. One, uh, he lies to Pharaoh. He, he goes to Egypt for because there's a famine and the land hangs out. Pharaoh sees his wife, says she looks pretty. He says, hey, it's my sister. Um, and I'm telling you that so that you won't kill me. And so then God, Pharaoh takes Sarah, puts him in her house, uh, puts her in his house. And then God shows up and don't, says, don't touch her because she's set apart for me for this other purpose and this other man. And so Pharaoh says, you lied to me, now get out of my kingdom. He didn't believe God, that God was going to protect him in this land and go with him like he said he would. So he got in trouble. We see it again where he doubts the promise that God would provide a son through Sarah. So he has a child with Hagar. He doubts his age. He says, I'm old, 99 years old. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do what you called me to do. And really, when we dig down deep enough, that's the root of the doubt. It's never about God. It's never doubting that God's going to do what God says. It's always about me. You can't do that with me. I can't do that. And we're kind of like that too, aren't we? When God calls us to something, isn't our first response, how are you going to do that? You're calling me to this great, cool thing. That's great. How? How are you going to do that with me? And are you sure you're going to use me? Are you, are you sure me? Like, there's nobody else that you could pick. you got to pick me. Um, don't you mean somebody else, something else? And we see that theme, that human theme, throughout the entirety of Scripture. It happens every time. My favorite one is Moses, and we're not going to talk about Moses today because that's a whole other series of sermons. Um, but my favorite one is Moses argues with God. <laughs> and he's like, but like, can you pick anybody else? <laughs> and I feel like sometimes we do that. I know that I do that, uh, and I've done that multiple times with God. Every time God calls me to something, there's this moment of, are you just going to trust me? Are you just going to believe? You know, it, when God was calling us to move to Fredericksburg, there was a whole series of events where I was like, God, are you sure? Are you for real that this is what we're doing? Which is really kind of funny, because I'm the easy sell between me and Britter, right? I'm the one that you can say, hey, let's just move. Let's just let's go to Oregon. Let's go. I'm down, you know, leave, leave family, leave kindred behind, move to Oregon, have a great time. So I've always said that if God was going to call us to something, he had to call her first because then I knew it was from him because I'm an easy sell. You know, you can get me to do almost anything that way. So it, he did. He called her first. And then I started with the, but wait. So if we're going to move to Fredericksburg, what about this? And what about that? And what about these five other things that need to happen? And she looked at me. I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she said, isn't he faithful? cool. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> but I do remember very specifically, uh, we had a road and I was walking down the road and I laid out all of my concerns before the Lord. I said, God, I got to have a job because I got to provide for my family. We're going to have to have a house. Not only are we going to have to have a house, I have to sell mine. And my house flooded last year and you want me to sell it? 
plus we're in the pandemic, plus we got to have a car that's going to get there because our two are on their last legs, plus we got all these other things, so what are you going to do? And I remember very clearly, now I don't, it's not an audible voice or anything, but the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, are you going to trust me? And I said, sure, why not? (laughs) And so then he did. He worked out each one of those things and all it was was a call of faith, a call of trust, a call of obedience. Did they happen the way that I thought they would? Absolutely not. You could not have, like, I could not have charted that whole course. But God called me to faith, and he called me to obey. And when we did, we saw how he worked the plan out. And that has happened multiple times. It's happened when I felt God calling me to ministry. I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are we doing this? How are we going to make this happen? And there was a series of things that I had to obey and had to trust to get me there. Same thing with uh, each of the times that God has called me to something. It was always a doubt of logistics. It was never a doubt of God. It was always a doubt of how. And this is what makes it so good, because God is so much bigger than our hows. This is what it means when we say that God is the author of our story. It's because he's bigger than those hows. He knows. One of the things that we believe about God is that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. And that doesn't just mean everywhere in space. That means everywhere in time. That's why Jesus can look at us and say, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. And by the way, I'm already in tomorrow waiting for you to get there. So you don't got to worry. God's bigger than our house because he's already charted the whole thing out. What's great about that is that we don't have to know that story to be able to obey. We don't have to know the house to obey. We just have to know the one who's calling us. See, his one requirement of us is the same as it was for Adam, and it was for Noah, and it was for Abraham. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? And it's so important that right here in chapter 17, I'm excuse me, chapter 15, God seals the deal, and he helps us see how serious he is. So flip back with me to chapter 15, and we're going to pick up in verse 7. God's talking to Abraham. It's this whole idea about, are you going to give me a son, or is my, like my, my servant Eliezer going to be my, uh, my inheritance? And God says to him, God says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abraham said, well, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So God says to Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, when I'm talking to God and saying, God, how are you going to do this? God does not tell me to go find farm animals and bring them to him. So we need to know a little bit about context here. Because Abram doesn't second guess. Look at the next verse. In verse 10, it says, And he brought all of these, and he cuts them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. This was such a cultural thing that Abraham didn't have to question. What was God was telling him was basically, we're about to have a covenant, we're about to have an agreement, and so go get the things that we need. It would be like you calling a lawyer, saying, I need you to pull up these documents for me and draft this document of agreement. That's what's happening here. But this is the ancient world. Things worked a little bit differently than they do now. They don't have lawyers then. We can say amen or not to that if you want. Um, but... What he did say was he said, go get these animals, and we're going to cut them in half. Because what's going to happen is we're going to let these be the sign of our covenant. 
So Abram drives the animals away throughout the day. And verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. That deep sleep right there is the same words that's used over in Genesis chapter 2 when God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep to make Eve. Same words. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, okay, basically he's like, get it, understand that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here's where I want you to see. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So it's really important for us to get this because it's kind of weird, okay? This is the moment in the, if we were watching this as a TV show, you would look to whoever you're sitting with and say, what? Okay, that's what this is to us. Makes perfect sense to Abram. Because what would happen is if two parties wanted to come into an agreement, if they wanted to make a truce, or like, so let's say that we were warring nations and we were having a peace agreement, or if we were, um, if I was marrying your daughter and we were having a marriage talk, or if we were doing this thing where, you know, uh, you said that your bull did this and I said that my bull did that, and you know what, we're just going to do something else and come to an agreement. So that's an agreement. We're coming to a promise between two parties. What we would do is we would take animals, we'd cut them in half, like Fuchu, cut them in half, and we would put them on either side of a walkway. And then we would come stand in the middle of those animals, so we're surrounded by carcasses, and we would have this agreement, and we would speak our agreement to each other. We would say, this is what I'm going to do, this is what you're going to do, we'd shake hands, and we'd go about our merry way. What that covenant symbolized was, if I don't hold my word, let me be like these animals. Okay, that's, that's the point. If I don't do what I say I'm going to do, then let, let happen to me what we did to these animals. So it was a very visceral, very visual kind of sign. Normally, both parties walked through because it was an agreement on both sides. But notice what happens. God puts Abraham to sleep, and he walks as a flaming pot or smoking pot and a flaming torch, which were two symbols of God's presence that we see throughout the entire Old Testament of fire and smoke and, and that kind of idea because God is too big for us to see. So these two emblems of God's presence passed between the pieces. God didn't let Abram walk through because God was not expecting anything from Abram other than his faith. See, God reinforces the covenants with specifics, even to the point of telling him what his offspring are going to go through. Your offspring are not going to inherit this land right away. They're going to go uh, be servants in another land. They're going to be treated horribly. All this is going to happen, but I will do this. And so he did. All he asked for Abraham to do was to believe. What's so good about this is that this picture of walking through the animals and taking on what's called the curse of the covenant is what God ultimately does in Jesus. That's what ultimately happens. This is a foreshadowing of that. So we can get this picture. And just like with Jesus, God calls us to believe. 
See, with Abraham, uh, what separates kind of Abraham and Noah from Adam is their faith, is their belief. They did believe. They messed up. They broke God's plan. They did their own things. They had their own struggles, but they believed. Look with me in same chapter, chapter 15, verse 6, and notice what it says. And he, he being Abraham, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. If you do not have that verse underlined in your Bible, you should highlight it, underline it, circle it. We'll get it tattooed after church today. It's going to be a great day. Um, because this, I think, is one of the most important verses in Genesis and probably one of the most important verses in the Bible because it is the picture of the whole gospel. So let's break it down. First, it says, and he believed. Abraham had faith. God said, I'm going to do this. Abraham said, you have the same type of faith. And so the Lord, and that Lord, if you have the same type of Bible as me, that Lord is all caps. And that symbolizes the covenant name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh. He says, I believe in the Lord. So this one, not some generic God Elohim, not some other idea, but I believe in this very specific personal God. And because he had believed the Lord, God counted to Abraham it as righteousness. That word counted to him literally means credited to his account. It's an accounting term. So basically, Abraham has faith in God, and God credits him what? Righteousness. Man, that's good. God credits to him righteousness, a right standing before him. Because Abraham believed, because he had faith, God credited it to him, counted to him righteousness. Guys, we call that grace. That's what that is. Because Abraham didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything to earn it. But God counted it to him, showed him that I will count you righteous. This is the writer of Genesis. This is Moses preaching to us the gospel before we knew the story of Jesus. Because this is our story. When we believe in Jesus, when we have faith in his death and his resurrection, when we recognize that it is the death of Jesus, that's the body and the blood that was broken and spilled for us, that covers our sins, and we have faith in the resurrection, knowing that, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of God so that we can have a relationship with him and have everlasting newness of life in him. When we believe that, God credits to us the righteousness of Christ. That is what happens. See this for what it is. This is not here by chance. This is not just some pretty words that the writer of Genesis put. This is truth. Through faith, there is grace. And that grace ends in the righteousness of Christ, being counted to you as his own. See, the disciples and the writers of the New Testament thought a whole lot of this because as Jews... Abraham was the father of their faith. Everybody points back to Abraham. He's the dude, okay? And there were lots of things that Abraham did, Abraham said, put into place that kind of trickled down through the ages. And they put their stake on Abraham because he was the one that God chose to make a covenant people with. And so the writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself had lots to say about Abraham. But I'm going to flip with you. I don't know if I I didn't. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews for a second. You don't have to flip there. I just want you to listen. Hebrews 6, the writer of Hebrews says this about Abraham. He says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, when he made a covenant to Abraham, 
Since I will bless the greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having, waited, uh, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. We don't get to that today, but he does have a son. His name is Isaac. We get there. He obtains that promise. It's where people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. That's the walking through the animals. So that by two unchangeable things, and that which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. What that tells us is that the whole New Testament looks back to this conversation with God and Abraham and recognizes that this is a picture of Jesus. This ultimately is answered with Jesus. Because they tell us something more about the story of Abraham, because it was not his works that caused him to live a relationship with God. It was not his moral, upstanding character or his outstanding leadership abilities, because dude did not have it in either case. <laughs> he was a liar, and he did other things, and he um, did not have upstanding abilities. What counted to him as righteousness was faith. God. It was God's grace. And it was his faith that allowed him to live a life pleasing to God, expecting the promises of God to be fulfilled. Because what we see here is that Abraham never saw his promises fulfilled. You get that? The only one that he saw fulfilled was that he had a son, and his name was Isaac. He didn't see his children and great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren multiply to the point of being uh, sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. He didn't see kings come from him. He didn't see any of those things. What he did have was faith. What's nice, though, is that Jesus talks about this too. Jesus gets into an argument in the book of John chapter 8. And he gets, or I say Jesus got into the argument. It was really the Jews that were arguing with him as they were wont to do. And they were arguing about whether Jesus was really from God. And they started off kind of weird. They asked him, are you a Samaritan or a demon? And Jesus is like, neither one of those, but okay. Um, <laughs> what Jesus says is, he's, I, I don't have a demon, I honor my father, and yet you dishonor me. So if we're going to have this conversation, then we have issues. Because I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. So the Jews are like, you know, now we know you're a demon, because Abraham died. The father of our faith died. So if he died, then you're going to die too, and we'll die too. And so, are you greater than our father Abraham and all the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Picking up in verse 54 of John chapter 8, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies of me. Of him you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that Abraham looked forward to the day that Jesus would come and make this covenant a reality. Because back here in Genesis chapter 15, 
Abraham sees God walk through animals on his behalf, saying, I'm going to keep this covenant no matter what, and if I don't keep it, or if this covenant is broken, then let be done to me what happens on these, to these animals. Abraham sees that and recognizes that God is not only serious, but that God will keep his word, and he looked forward to the day that God would do it to the fullest completion. And Jesus finishes his little statement in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Mm. That gives me chills every time. Because Jesus is greater than Abraham. And Jesus shows us that Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward, not to just this physical fulfillment of this covenant, but it's spiritual fulfillment that's found in Christ. And it's found in him alone. Because Abraham doesn't see it. And honestly, the whole Old Testament tells this broken story of this people that God has chosen out of all the peoples in the earth to have this special relationship with and how they fail every single time. Kind of like us. Every single time. Never fails. If we're, if we're going to be consistent at something, we're going to be consistent at not doing what we're told to do. Right? Kind of like my kids. But the idea is that we, God knows that about us, and so he made a way. Um, he made a way to the point that he would walk through animals to keep the covenant. And not just that, but that he would walk a dusty road with a cross so that he could pay the price for our failure. So as I kind of bring us to a close, um, I have some questions I really want to ask you. It's really just two questions. They're really light. They're really easy. They're not going to be hard or anything at all. Britter shakes her head at me because she knows when I say that, um, what that means. But it's really two questions. The first one's really simple. What has God called you to? Because God has called you to something. God has called you to something. Um, it could be calling you to faith. It could be calling you to repentance. It could be calling you to, to living a life that's different. But God's called you to something. What's he called you to? And my second question, do you believe him? Because God's called us all to one thing universally, and that's faith in Jesus. And sometimes there's more, sometimes there's extra steps, there's other things. But it all begins with one question, and it's the question that God's been asking every human since the very beginning. Do you trust me? Will you have faith in me? Will you believe me? Will you allow me to be the author of your story? It's the question that haunted Abraham. And even in his doubts and bad decisions and, and ours, it haunts us. Because the truth of it is, is that every time we act against God's design, every time we sin, every time we disobey, it's really effectively saying, you know what, God? I don't. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you are what's best for me or that you have what's best for me. I think that this thing over here is going to be better. And ultimately, every single time, we're proven wrong just like the Israelites, just like Abraham, just like Noah, just like Adam and Eve. Sin is that. It's that choosing to believe that we can be the author of our own story and do it better than God. We don't often think of those terms, but that's the, the truth. Sin is always a decision of unbelief. But we have to remember what God did for our unbelief because Abraham struggled with belief. He did. And what did he do? What did God do for Abraham? He said, let me make this real. Get some animals and let's make a covenant. And God does the same thing for us. 
He offers us grace, and our faith is credited to us as righteousness, and it's his righteousness, and this is good news. This is worthy to be celebrated, because Abraham points us so clearly to Jesus, because as we're told in the New Testament, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus, every single one of them. And while Abraham only saw glimpses, he lived in such a way as to live by faith. And this is what God offers us, faith that by grace is counted as righteousness. It's right standing before God. So how do we, how do we respond to that? How do we really allow that to settle in our hearts? Because it is a question, it's a big question of whether or not faith is going to be the answer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I know Gavin is dealing with kids, but we'll get him back up here in just a second. But you guys can make your way back up here. Um, because we need to start asking some questions of ourselves. Um, do you have faith in your faith? That's base level, baseline. Number one question, do you have faith in Jesus, in the saving power of his death and his resurrection? Because if the answer to that is no, well, today's your day. Because just like Abraham, we need to recognize that when God tells us to obey, when God calls us to something, he can fulfill what he calls us to do. The, the next question is kind of like it. Um, have you been living in faith or in unbelief? Where are you at? Have you been living in faith or in unbelief? Because if you've been living in unbelief, then today is a day to repent. Today is a day to put that behind you and to recognize that ultimately you have to have faith in Christ if you want to move forward. Do you have a clear vision today of the promises that God has for you? Because if the answer to that is, is no, well, today's your day to see that your hope, your satisfaction, is not in your earthly desires being fulfilled. It wasn't for Abraham. His earthly desires were never fulfilled. He never saw the fulfillment of that physical promise. But he did have satisfaction and hope in God. And we can see that in Christ, too. So we're going to take a few moments and we're going to respond to those questions. I want you to kind of wrestle with that. Do I have faith or do I have unbelief? Let's pray. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.